following program is intended for mature audiences. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Let's talk football. Let's talk football. One constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. Been a lot of complaints already. Bad language, smoking grass. 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. What's up, everybody? Back again, another episode of the Intentional Foul. Dan Rolling Solo today. It's nice to have Goldberg back last week. Hadn't heard from him in a while, hadn't seen him in a while, so he's a busy guy this time of year. That happens, but we'll be seeing a lot more of each other here in the next couple weeks. We've got some high school basketball starting in about a week and a half. We got some girls games, and um, yeah, that really kicks off our really, really busy time of the year, but we will still make time for you to do this podcast as we always love to do weekly. We got a lot of stuff to get into. We got week eight results in the NFL. We'll preview week nine. We got a couple of rare NFL trades to talk about. Um, Briefly talk about the Badgers in their game against Ohio State. The World Series is over. The NBA season is in full swing. Bucks have played four games. We'll get into that. A lot of panic going on. Um, touch on some uh, college basketball and then uh, a special edition of Remember That Guy. So, all right. Let's get into it here. Uh, Packers lose to the, to the Vikings 24-10 to at home. Um, the big story coming out of that. Uh, Viking quarterback Kirk Cousins tearing his Achilles tendon in the third quarter. Um, you know, hate to see that. I know Packer fans hate the Vikings, and most of them think Kirk Cousins sucks. But uh, regardless of how you feel about that team, you hate to see anybody go down with that kind of injury, especially for a guy like Cousins who's potentially going into a year where he's going to be looking uh, looking for a new team. So um, getting to the game, though, and the Packers are a mess. They're they're a mess. Um, their first half struggles continue. Three points again. Only three points through the first three quarters. Um, it's really inexplicable. I, I, I mean, I've I've talked about it now for really about the last month. Um, uh, whatever it is that they're doing for for game preparation, they got to change it because it's not working. You know, I, this this safety play calling stuff that that Lafleur is doing right now with Jordan Love. Um, I think we got to find out whether or not this guy is going to be a real player or not. And no, nobody, including the coaching staff in the front office, is going to figure that out. Throwing these these little check down three four yard out passes to guys that it's fifty fifty whether they can even catch it. Um, you know, he Jordan Love has not played well. I don't think even the most diehard Packer fan would dispute that. But he's not getting any help from his uh, coaches, from his defense, and especially from his uh, his skill position players. Um, 
you know, they have been unable to get that running game going this year, which I think most of us thought was going to be a strength of this team going into the season. Now, granted, you've had um, Jones has missed a couple of games with injury, and I'm not sure he's even 100% yet. Um, A.J. Dillon just has proven here that he's not a number one back. He's a backup. He's a backup. He's a change of pace guy. He's a short yardage guy. He, he really, if he's your featured back, you're probably not going to have a very consistent running game. Um, and then you talk about the, the receivers in the tight end position. It's not been good. The production's been bad. Um, some of that's on love. You know, he's missed a lot of guys, a lot of balls over people's heads at their feet behind them. But at the same time, there were several drop passes in the last couple of games that if those are completions, there's a good chance Packers might have another win or two on the board. Um, it's, it's, you know, I, I heard all these, all the Packer fans were excited about Musgrave, the rookie tight end going into the season. And I, I get it. He's a rookie, but he has been very, very underwhelming. Um, Christian Watson continues to be a one trick pony type of wide receiver where he basically can run in a straight line down the field. And if you've got a quarterback with a strong arm like Rogers, that's great. But if you have a quarterback that doesn't have a strong arm like Jordan Love, that's not so great. And Dobbs, you know, who I, I think, for better or for worse, is the number one receiver on this team. I think, you know, he's a he's probably more of a number three, to be honest, on a good team. So I think a lot of people, myself included, <clears throat> went into the season looking at the roster and seeing a lot of good stuff there that was going to be able to help Jordan Love. And unfortunately for Love and for the Packers, that hasn't been the case. And, you know, we talked about it last week a little bit. You know, Bakhtiari has been out. You know, as I said, Jones has missed games. But, you know, Bakhtiari hasn't really been there for three years. So I, I don't really think that's a valid excuse anymore. I think if if you didn't plan for him to probably not be there, you that's on you. Um, so I don't really think you can use injuries as an excuse. Everybody's got them. Everybody's got them at key positions. It's you know that's the league. But I don't know, man. They're they're in a tough spot, and you know they got ten games left. Jordan Love, I feel like you know has to at least go five and five and play pretty well in five of those games. Uh, or or the Packers, I think they're going to have to be looking for another new quarterback in the draft. I, I heard today um, Cowherd floated out there that maybe next year the Packers should sign Kirk Cousins. That was hilarious. I mean, you talk about things that would never happen and would just absolutely destroy the fan base. It would be Gutekunds going out and signing Kirk Cousins for a short-term deal until they get their new quarterback, but eh, stranger things have happened. Um, the Packers did make one move this week at the trade deadline, trading uh, defensive back Rasul Douglas to Buffalo for a third-round pick. Um, little surprising. I thought he was he over the last couple of years has been one of their more consistent uh, players on that side of the ball. 
But, you know, Gudikin said in the press conference the, the opportunity to get a top 100 pick, which is what that will be, um, they just couldn't pass that up. Oh, okay. I mean, interesting strategy. Kind of tells me that you have already decided you're not you're not a playoff team this year. You're going to trade away one of your you know your cornerstones of your defense in recent years. Um, you, you know you can debate how good he's been this year. I, I'm I'm not going to get into that, but he's made a lot of big plays for the Packers over the last you know two three years, however long he's been there. So he will be missed. Um, and you know d- further depletes a defensive backfield that can't keep their supposed shutdown best corner Jair Alexander on the field. Um, Bears lose to the Chargers 30-13 to on Sunday night football. Uh, it really wasn't even that close. That, that game, that, that felt like a, a you know, 45-7 to game. <laughs> um, Tyson Bajit was not good. Um, he looked like a kid in his second start. And, you know, I mean, come on. It's Sunday night football. You're on the road. It's your second start, I, you know, on a, on a bad team. This isn't Brock Purdy jumping onto the 49ers last year. This is this is a little different. So, you know, is what it is. I don't think anybody's going to get too upset about that. This was just such a mismatch talent-wise across the board. Um. I mean, the only guy on the Bears' offense that would probably play on the Chargers is DJ Moore. Um, the Bears' defense was not good, but you know, again, a lot of talent on that Charger offense. They when they're when they're clicking on all cylinders, they are a very potent team. Uh, but Fields sounds like he's going to be out again this week. That'll be his third straight game he's missed. Um, but. You know, just not not much really to get into with the Bears, honestly. I mean, it's it's crazy we're in week, you know, going into week nine and um, just kind of playing out the string here. You know, waiting to see when Fields comes back, if he shows much of anything. Um, but other than that, just just not much to talk about for, for me with the Bears. Um, they did trade uh, a second-round pick this year to Washington for Montez Sweat. Um, initially I wasn't much of a fan of this. I just feel like the bears shouldn't probably be trading draft picks. Um, especially, you know, top three rounds. I mean, last year they traded a second rounder for chase Claypool. That was a disaster. I don't think that's going to be the case here. Sweat immediately becomes the best player on the bears defense. Um, along probably with Jalen Johnson. Uh, six and a half sacks so far this year. I think the entire Bears defense so far has ten. So he's a significant upgrade from from what they've had. They needed they needed an edge rusher. They needed somebody to be able to put a little pressure on the quarterback, and hopefully he can do that for him. I think he's under contract um, next year as well. So he's only twenty seven years old. So this you know this fits the timeline. If if you believe in the next you know two to three years, you can build a some form of a contender. Um, and then today it was announced that they extended uh, D-tackle Andrew Billings uh, two years, eight and a half million, six million guaranteed. So that is about all there is for the Bears and the Pack. Let's get into some results from Week 8. Start with last Thursday night's football. 
in what was kind of an ugly game. I didn't watch much of it because the Bucks were on. Buffalo uh, beats Tampa Bay 24-18. Uh, Sunday, Dallas put a hurting on the Rams 43-20. to And Dallas's defense, again, was really dominant. Forced some turnovers. Um, scored on defense. It seems like about every three, four weeks they have one of these games where they, they just kind of go nuts. Uh, but... You know, Rams are not a great team, so that's not a super impressive win at home. Uh, Minnesota beat the Packers, as we said. Tennessee 28, Atlanta 23. Uh, Will Levis comes in for the Titans, rookie out of uh, Kentucky, throws four touchdowns. Only the third quarterback ever to throw four touchdowns in his first game. So we'll see if he can uh, keep that going, maybe be their quarterback of the future. New Orleans 38, Indy 27. Um, didn't see much of this game, but neither one of these teams, these are pretty middling teams. I don't think anybody's going to be too excited about either one. Miami, New England, um, Dolphins 31, Pats 17. No surprise there. In what was just a debacle of a game, the Jets beat the Giants 13-10 to in overtime. Just a mess. Um, the Giants... Had that game in control. They completely blew it at the end. Allowed the Jets to go down, send it to overtime, eventually win in overtime. Um, They played a quarterback. Tyrod Taylor, who is playing because of Daniel Jones' injury, gets knocked out of the game. And basically for the entire second half, their third stringer, his last name's DeVito, um, they basically don't let him throw the ball. Uh, very weird strategy. Uh, it was, you know, it was shitty weather. It was really rainy. So, I mean, I, I understand you're trying to be safe. It's your third stringer, but th- it, this is the NFL. Like, if you got a quarterback on your roster that you don't even believe can throw a forward pass, why is he on your roster? And honestly, if you're going to put somebody back there to just take the snap and they're not going to throw it, just snap it to Saquon Barkley and run Wildcat. I mean, I, I didn't understand that. That was very strange, but that Giant team is brutal. Um, Jacksonville, in what was a, a, a decent-sized game for this time of the year, um, beats Pittsburgh 20-10. to 10. Pittsburgh's offense, wow, that is just nasty. Nasty nasty to watch, ugly. Philadelphia continues to prove they're the best team in football. They uh, beat Washington 38-31. Carolina gets their first win of the season on a uh, walk-off field goal, beating Houston 15-13. That's a that's a tough loss for the Texans. You know, they'd been playing, you know, decent football, better than I think most people expected to this point, but to lose to winless Carolina, that that's rough. Uh, Seattle 24, Cleveland 20. Cleveland, man, they're tough. They're tough. That's a team, if they can get healthy down the stretch, they're going to be a bitch to play. Uh, in the upset of the weekend, by far, Denver beats Kansas City 24-9, keeps Kansas City from scoring a touchdown. Um, now, Patrick Mahomes, it's been reported he was quite sick with the flu. Okay. Um, you know, that's not the Broncos' problem, that that Pat Mahomes has, has the flu. So, um that Chiefs team is they're they're not as good, they're not as potent as they've been the last couple of years. And that's that's been pretty obvious, you know, the first eight weeks of the season. Just, you know, they're they're missing that that explosive 
play guy. They don't really have that this year. They're really relying on Kelsey a lot. And, you know, he's, I think he's 32. He's got a lot of miles on him. Um, You just wonder how long they're going to be able to ride that. Uh, Baltimore continues to play well. Knocks off Arizona 31-24. In another, I guess, semi-upset, Cincinnati uh, 31, San Francisco 17. Third straight loss for the Niners. Um, Brock Purdy, again, doesn't play particularly well. Uh, I think coming off of a bye, giving Joe Burrow and some of the other guys on that team a couple of weeks to heal up, um, I think Cincinnati is poised here to kind of go on a little bit of a run. They really did a nice job of weathering the storm early here in the season with Burrow hurt and um, just not playing well. But uh, they look like they're heading in the right direction. Uh, as we said, the Chargers beat the Bears 30-13. to And then Monday night, Detroit beats the Raiders 26-14 to in a game that really, I watched a good part of this. This was, this was an ass-kicking. The, the score is not indicative of how badly Detroit manhandled the Raiders in that game, um, which inevitably led to uh, the Raiders firing head coach Josh McDaniel, uh, also fired the offensive coordinator and the general manager. Um, you know, at the end of that game, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo was awful in that game. He was awful. Um, you know, there was a scene at the end of the game with Devontae Adams smashing his helmet on the ground in frustration uh, just be, because they just cannot get anything going offensively. And, you know, it's similar to the Bears. You know, Bears have a defensive head coach, and for the most part of two years they've had a horseshit defense. Um, Josh McDaniels is supposed to be this offensive wizard, yet his teams continually have shitty offenses when they don't have Tom Brady running the show. Um, and, and, you know... A lot of people have tried to deny it over the years, myself included, at times. It, it the, the Tom Brady effect on some of these guys that have parlayed this into coaching gigs, McDaniel, Patricia, um, Bill O'Brien, Charlie Weiss back in the day, like all these supposed offensive masterminds that go on to other jobs and fail it's pretty indicative and pretty obvious that, you know, Tom Brady was the conductor of that orchestra and really, really made everything go and work work the way it was supposed to. Um, in an interesting trade, the Vikings uh, get Josh Dobbs, quarterback from Arizona, for I, I think like a sixth or a seventh round pick. Dobbs had been starting for Arizona so far this year. I mean, granted, they've only got one win. But um, just interesting to see a team trade their starting quarterback in the middle of the year like this. Uh, but obviously the Vikings at 4-4 four and four are sitting there going, if we can get any kind of competent um, quarterback play here the rest of the year, we got a chance to at least sneak into the playoffs. And um, a really nice trade for the 49ers picking up Chase Young from Washington for a third-round pick. Um, Washington just basically said – take our two best defensive guys, and uh, they trade Sweat and Young. So adding Chase Young to that 49er defense, if he's healthy, which he has not been the last couple of years, he's a hell of a player. And that could be a huge, huge get for the Niners. So take a swig of water here real quick. All right. 
let's look at some Week 9 matchups. So, Thursday Night Football, which is, as as I'm recording this, is going on. We have 3-4 and four Tennessee at 4-3 and three Pittsburgh. Uh, battle of young quarterbacks. Will Levis in his second start for the Titans. Kenny Pickett for Pittsburgh. You know, the Steelers team, if they could get any kind of any kind of consistent offense, just just get up around 20, 22 points a game. They got a chance to be a pretty good team, but right now their offense, as I said, it's putrid. Um, Sunday morning in Germany, we have maybe to this point the game of the year in the NFL. We have six and two Miami against six and two Kansas City. I usually don't get up and watch those games, but I might have to this week. Um, I, frankly, I like Miami in this game. Um, I just, I just haven't liked what I've seen from Kansas City the last couple weeks. Um, four and four Atlanta at four and four Minnesota. Both teams kind of, kind of teetering right now on what way their season is going to go. Atlanta announced that they are benching Desmond Ritter, and they're going to start Taylor Heineke. So at four and four, they've they've given up on Ritter, who they just drafted last year. And Minnesota, as you know, as we talked about, no cousins trade for Josh Dobbs. I, I would assume he's going to start this week. Um, so that's going to be interesting. Two two guys starting for for teams they've never started for before. Um, Arizona one and seven at Cleveland four and three. Arizona's going to start a rookie quarterback I've never heard of. Cleveland still don't know what Deshaun Watson's situation is. They may be starting P.J. Walker again. Man, there's just some some bad quarterbacks playing in the NFL right now. Just bad. Um, three and five Rams at two and five Packers. Stafford's got a, a a thumb thing he's dealing with. Not sure how healthy he's going to be if he's even going to play. But this is. I think this is kind of a must win for the Packers. If they have not maybe not necessarily to make the playoffs, but just to have any kind of a good feeling about yourself. I don't think they can afford this would be their fifth loss in a row. It'd be another home loss and it would be a loss to a team that's not that good. So they got to step up. Uh this is a pretty ugly one. Washington 3 and 5 at New England 2 and 6. I don't think a lot of people are going to be watching that. Another nasty one, Chicago 2-6 and six at New Orleans 4-4. Four and four. I mean, I if the Saints lose this one, Derek Carr should just retire. I'm sorry. Um, uh, another really quality game this week, 5-2 and two Seattle at 6-2 and two Baltimore. Baltimore has played really well of late. Lamar Jackson's played some really good football. They seem to be, you know, kind of, really finding their stride here going into November. But this would be a really, really big statement game for Seattle. Um, they're sitting a half game ahead of uh, the Niners in the in the division. And uh, this would be a, a really impressive win if they could go on the road and beat the Ravens. 3-4 uh, and four Tampa at 3-4 and four Houston. Um, not much to say there. 3-5 and five Indy at 1-6 and six Carolina. Um, I'll be rooting for the for uh, the Colts in that one. Got to always root for Carolina to lose. Keep that number one pick for the Bears. Two and six Giants at three and five Raiders. Um, again, no idea about the quarterback situation here. It could be Tyrod Taylor versus whoever this rookie the, that Vegas is starting. Could be this Devito guy. I, I don't know, but this is like the fourth 
fourth or fifth game this week where the quarterback situation for both teams is just straight garbage. Um, featured game Sunday afternoon, five and two Dallas at seven and one Philly, and again, kind of like Seattle. You know, this is an opportunity for Dallas to go on the road and beat a division rival and what has been the best team in football for the majority of the season in Philadelphia and a team that's kind of owned Dallas as of late seem to seem to have their number. So this should be a really, I'm looking forward to watching this game after having to watch, well, I'll probably have to watch that Packer Ram game, unfortunately, but um, this will be a fun one in the afternoon. Sunday night, we got another good one. Five and three Buffalo at four and three Cincinnati. I, I like the Bengals in this one. I, I just, I got a feeling they turned a corner after getting through that bye. Um, and then Monday night we have the Chargers at the Jets. Three and four Chargers, four and three Jets. Um, should be an opportunity for the Chargers to get back to five hundred and you know try to make a push here in the second half of the season to the playoffs. Jets are Jets are frisky though, man. They're tough. They're well coached. And um, boy, can you imagine them sitting at five and three after losing Rodgers after three plays for the year? That's nuts. Uh, four teams got the bye this week: Denver, Detroit, San Francisco, and Jacksonville. Um, which leads us to our Tankathon watch for the number one pick. Right now, I've got seven teams on the list, and in this order: uh, number one, Carolina, one win; number two, Arizona, one win. Number three, Chicago, two wins. Giants, number four with two. I got the Packers here. They're hovering. They're hovering into that area where they could be thinking about getting a pretty high pick. Uh, Patriots also here, number six with two wins. And Vegas now, after the Jimmy Garoppolo benching and the firing of their coach, I see that team going big time down the drain. So... um, yeah, fun to keep an eye on that. Fun, yeah, you know, about as fun as getting a tooth pulled, but it is what it is. All right, move on to college football. Um, Badgers lose at home to Ohio State 24-10. to I, I actually thought the Badgers played re- pretty well, all things considered. Um, again, this, you know, a little bit like the, uh, the Bear-Charger game. I, I, just, I just think it's a complete talent mismatch across the board. Uh, but, you know, the Badgers did a nice job. I, I thought they hung around for the most part, um, kept it kept it in the style of game that they needed to play in order to try to pull off an upset. Uh, but, you know, in the end, Ohio State was just too much. Although I, I wasn't really very impressed with Ohio State's quarterback. He hadn't thrown an interception in, like, a long time, and then he just was getting picked off all over the place by the Badgers. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't super impressed with him. If that's if that's their quarterback, I I shudder when they go up against, you know, a Michigan defense, a Georgia defense in the playoffs potentially. That that could get ugly for for the Buckeyes. Not that any of us will shed any tears. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr. is a stud. Uh, they didn't get him the ball a ton, but when they did try to get him the ball, he made big plays and some impressive catches. That guy is going to make somebody's fan base very happy next year in the NFL, hopefully my fan base. Um, I thought Locke looked better for the Badgers. I thought he threw the ball with a lot more confidence. Um, 
Didn't have a lot of results on the scoreboard, but I thought that um, he he just looked a lot more comfortable. I think the second half of that Illinois game, you know, and carrying that over against Ohio State, I think the coaching staff's got to be pretty happy with that. Uh, you know, and and he's young, and this is a kid that, you know, in a couple years he could be a really nice player for this team, uh, but their number one player, Braylon Allen. He's got to hold on to the football, man. Um, two fumbles, and I know he's being asked to carry a heavy burden with Ches Malusi out. And now Braylon Allen himself had to had to leave that game with an injury, but before that he fumbled twice. And he's been known in his short career to put the ball on the ground. And, you know, we see it all the time in the NFL. Coaches don't put up with that shit. If you're turning the ball over, they are not gonna. They are not gonna deal with that. So, he has got to figure that out. All right, so that's it for college football. That's all I got. Um, just a couple of quick baseball notes. The World Series is finished. The Texas Rangers are your World Series champions. They beat the Diamondbacks four to one in the series. Um, they went undefeated on the road. That's wild. That, that's just that. I, I think I think they were ten and zero on the road in the playoffs. That's, I don't think that's ever happened before. That's amazing. Um, Corey Seager wins the World Series MVP. I wonder if the Dodgers are regretting that decision to let him go a couple of years ago. He's a hell of a player. Um, so with the uh, with the Rangers winning the World Series. The Brewers now are one of five teams left in Major League Baseball to have never won a title, along with uh, Seattle, San Diego, Tampa Bay, and Colorado. Um, only Seattle has never made the World Series. And other than that, the Brewers now have the longest drought. Well, they had it before even even this year, but they have the longest drought outside of Seattle of making the World Series. Um, San Diego made it in 84 and 98, lost both. Colorado made it in 07 and lost. And Tampa Bay made it in 20 and I want to say 14 maybe and uh, and lost those. So, um, yeah, not not a not a great list to be on for, for us Brewer fans. Um, and, uh, you know, a little more Brewer news. It was released that... Uh, Council, it sounds like, is going to also interview along with the Mets for the uh, Cleveland Guardians job. Um, That one seems unlikely. A little closer to home, a little smaller market, so maybe that's appealing for Council. But I I just don't know why I I don't know why you would leave Milwaukee for Cleveland. That seems like at best a lateral move. That that could just be a a, a leverage play for uh, for contract contractual purposes. Um, I do think the stuff to the Mets is real. I, I do. I, initially, I did not. Um, from a baseball perspective, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me, considering the division you'd be walking into, which is arguably the best division in baseball. Um, you would have a bigger war chest to play with. You know, the Mets are going to spend a hell of a lot more money than the Brewers are. And, you know, 
they have a richer owner and they're in a bigger market, so that is what it is. But um, I don't know. The the longer this drags out, I feel like the less he council is going to be back as the Brewers manager. And and as I've said before, I, I'm not going to lose any sleep over that. He's done a nice job managing the regular season. He has not done a good job in the postseason. He just hasn't. Um, have they had a little bit of bad luck? Sure. Have they had some injuries? Sure. Um, but they haven't been able to overcome that stuff. And other teams have gone through the same thing, and they've been able to overcome, and the Brewers haven't. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens with that. We, you know, we got probably another couple weeks. We'll have the winter meetings. And, um, you know, as crazy as it is, we're only, even though the World Series ended yesterday, we're only three months away now from spring training. All right. Well, let's get into the fun stuff here. So my phone has been blowing up this week with a lot of panicky, worried text messages from from people that are very, very concerned about the Milwaukee Bucks. The two and two Milwaukee Bucks were a week into the season. Um Bucks have home wins over Philadelphia and Miami, two contenders. They have a home loss and a blowout to Atlanta, and last night were blown out on the road to Toronto. Um, what do I make of all of this so far? Well, as I said a couple of weeks ago, I said it on John Barry's show a couple of weeks ago. I said it last week as well. This is going to take some time. Um, the first game against Philadelphia, I think that game, a lot of guys were just playing off sheer emotion and excitement. And Dame Lillard went bananas in the fourth quarter, ended up with 39 points. And the Bucks beat a good team um, in their home opener. Two days later, they play an Atlanta team who was 0-3, I think, at the time. Who did not want to continue to not have any wins. The Bucks came out, looked very lethargic, and got run off the floor by a younger, more athletic team. Um, then they turn around and play Miami on Monday and look great for about three-plus three quarters. They're blowing Miami out. No Bam out of bio in that game for the Heat. Um, the Bucks almost blow a monster lead, but hang on at the end. And then last night, they go up to Toronto, which has kind of been a house of horrors for the Bucks, especially for Giannis throughout their career. Just been a tough place for them to play for whatever reason. Um, and again, a young, athletic, springy team at home that got hot from three and had been really bad offensively the first four games of the season heading into last night, they just kind of broke out. And every time the Bucks made a run, Toronto had an answer. Um, there was one key play. The Bucks had been down like 25 in the third quarter. They got it down to 13 with about 15 seconds left in the quarter. Toronto has the ball. And Scotty Barnes shoots a three with about eight seconds left, misses it, and Giannis doesn't box out. 
and the guy behind him jumps right over the top of him, kicks it back out to Barnes, and he hits a three at the buzzer. So you you go from being down 25 to if Giannis gets that rebound, maybe you go down and get a bucket. Now you're down 11. Maybe you hit a three. You're down 10. At worst, you're down 13. You've cut the lead in half. But because he's lazy at that moment, doesn't box out, they go down 16. In the first two possessions of the quarter, the fourth quarter, Toronto hits a three, you're back down 22. And that in that fast, the game was over in about a minute and a half of of gameplay. Um, that's kind of been what I've been seeing from these guys here early on. They haven't been getting some breaks. They've been a little lackadaisical. I think there, there are times when some guys out there have looked a little lost and confused. But listen, this isn't the NFL where you freak out after every game. You know, it's 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 closer to being Major League Baseball than it is the NFL. I mean, remember back early in the baseball season when the Brewers got swept at home by Oakland and everybody lost their shit? because we all knew how bad Oakland was. I think Oakland went on to lose like 110 games. It was just a bad couple of days. The Brewers still end up winning 90-some games, win the division to make the playoffs. My point is, yeah, Atlanta blew them out, and Toronto blew them out, and the Bucks looked really bad in both of those games. But we're four games into an 82-game season. If you're flipping out about this, you're you're nuts. Um, are there things to be concerned about? Yes. Are they things that I was concerned about before the season started? Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I'm not going to get all riled up. As I said, talk to me after 10 games. Because after 10 games, I thought this team was going to be about 5-5, five and five, maybe 6-4. and four. You know, this isn't a team that's going to win 60 games. This is a team that's going to win 50-52 games. You know, this group of guys, they are veterans. They know and understand that the ultimate goal is to be healthy in April, in May, in June. It's not to look great in November. It's just not. Um, I've watched this league for almost 40 years now, well, 35 years, and you, you see this every year. Teams start out hot, and they fade. Teams don't start out great championship-level teams sometimes and end up being championship-level teams. So we just got to be patient, man. Um, some of the things that I have seen so far that have, that have stuck out to me, Giannis and Dame have yet to play well at the same time in any of these four games. Giannis was, I thought, bad in the first game. I thought he was completely out of control. Thankfully, Dame was great, and he saved him. In the second game, they were both bad. In the third game, you know, they were better. Giannis had a really nice game. They were better, but still not great. And then last night, they both stunk again. So we haven't seen these two guys quite figure it out, and that's to be expected. But they're too good. 
They're too smart. They're too professional. They will figure it out. Um, the defense has been bad. Last year they were fourth in net rating. Right now they're 29th in the league. They've been bad. They have looked old and unathletic. Um, it's something that I worried about going into the season looking at the roster. And so far, through four games, Adrian Griffin has been very hesitant to give Bochamp very many minutes, and he has not played um, Andre Jackson Jr. outside of garbage time in the two blowout losses. Um, that's something they're going to have to figure out. And, and again, it's going to take time. Brooke Lopez was one of the best defensive players in basketball last year. He's been getting cooked. Now, I don't think it's because he's gotten worse, but what they're asking him to do has changed. You know, the last four or five years under Bud, the reason why the Bucks' defense has been so good is because they've been the hardest team to score on at the rim, and that's because of guys like Lopez and Giannis. Well, with this new defensive philosophy that they're playing, Griffin wants them to put more pressure on the ball out on the perimeter, which inevitably leads to once in a while you're going to get beat off the dribble. And when that is happening, there's nobody on the back line right now to, to guard the rim. We're seeing layups. We're seeing lobs. Um, and then when guys are there, they're there late. It's a poor rotation. And now they're kicking it out and finding people open on the perimeter for basically practice threes. So it's a new scheme with a lot of new guys. And even the existing guys asked to do things that they haven't done in the past I'm going to be interested to see what Griffin does with this. You know, he's a first-time coach. Is he going to stick with his philosophy with the thinking that we're going to just progressively get better so we're peaking at the right time at the end of the year? Or does he look at the roster and say, I know how I want to play, but we don't really have the pieces to play that way. We got to play the way... They've kind of been playing and been really successful at. Um, so that's that's something to keep an eye on. One bright spot for me so far has been Malik Beasley. I thought he is, um, he's is he been playing well. He's shooting about 45% from three. He's a knockdown shooter, um, which is nice to see. He does need to pick it up on the defensive end. That's you know That was the knock on him coming in. Um, but I think... You know, man for man, I think he's a definite upgrade over Grayson Allen. Um, you know, and as we talked about, the rotations have, have been interesting early, but it's hard to make much out of it because of what's going on with Chris Middleton. Um, Middleton's been on a minutes restriction. He's only played three of the four games, and in those three games he's playing about 17 minutes. Um, so that has kind of changed. That's not the way things are going to be as the season progresses on. Um, it's been interesting uh, early on Giannis coming out at about the six minute mark of the first quarter which gives Dame you know some time to kind of be out there to do his thing unfortunately Dame's just not shooting the ball well right now um, he's shooting like 28% from three through the first four games and he's a career 38% shooter so a little uncharacteristic of, of him a lot of his shots are short uh, doesn't look like he's quite got his legs under him yet um, you know, and, you know, listen, <laughs> it's a big adjustment. This guy played 10 years in one one city, and, you know, a couple days before training camp opens, he gets traded, 
halfway across the country, and he's going through a divorce. So he's got some stuff going on outside of the fact that he's trying to integrate <laughs> to, a, to a team that has championship aspirations. Um, you know, the bench has been okay. Crowder's had his moments. Uh, Bobby Portis has played well in spurts. You know, we kind of know what to expect from him. Connaughton has not been good. He's really struggling to shoot the ball. And, you know, he is a guy that is, they're asking a lot of him. You know, he has to come in and shoot close to 40% from three to justify his playing time because he's kind of a liability on the defensive end. He he tries hard. He plays hard. But he just there's just a different level of, of athleticism that he qu- can't quite get to defensively. Um, so he, he's got to pick that up. Um, you know, I've liked what I've seen from Bochamp in the limited time he's played. Um, he looks like a kid that's very, very willing to get after it defensively. They put him on Trey Young quite a bit in the first half of that Atlanta game. And, you know, Trey Young did what Trey Young does. He flopped and flailed and cried and whined, and he got three quick fouls on Bochamp in the first half, and we didn't see much of him after that. So I'd like to see some of these younger guys get a little more run here early in the season, especially with Middleton being on the minutes restriction. So, um, yeah, but, you know, basically to sum this all up, Dame literally just got there, right? Like I said, he got there. He got traded three or four days before training camp opened. You know, the Bucks were going into the season believing that they were going to have basically the same team they had last year. And that got flipped on its head when, when they made the trade for Dame. So that's been an adjustment. Um, Middleton's minutes restrictions have been a thing. I think he looks really good. I think he's moving really well. Um, his shot hasn't been great, but you know that that happens when you're used to playing 30 minutes a game. Now your minutes are cut in half. That that'll come with time. I think. I think they said last night um, they're looking for maybe maybe next week to to ramp him up a little bit, maybe get him up into the 20s. So that's that's a good sign. Um, you know, you got to remember five of the top ten guys in the rotation right now I consider to be new. You know, you've got Giannis, Middleton. Brooke, uh, Pat, and Bobby, those guys have been there. But Lillard, Beasley, um, Crowder, who, you know, he was there last year, but I don't really count it. Uh, Cameron Payne and uh, Bochamp, who, again, was there last year, but he barely played. So that's a lot of new stuff. New guys, new system, new coach. Just got to be patient. Just got to relax. Got to relax. Talk to me after 10 games. As I said, so this week, starting tomorrow, Bucks are at home against the Knicks in what is the first of one of these tournament games for this midseason tournament. I, I don't know. Whatever. I'm not even going to get into that. Monday at Brooklyn. Wednesday home versus the Pistons, and next Thursday at Indiana. So four games here coming up. I'd like to see a three and one. Uh, Record after these four, at the very least, I would certainly not be surprised to see them go four and zero. But as I've said, five and five, six and four, could be four and four coming out of this this week. So um, I can't stress it enough, folks. Be patient, as your boy Aaron would say. Relax. Okay, a couple more NBA things. Harden finally gets traded from Philadelphia to the Clippers. 
um, for some spare parts and a bunch of draft picks. Kind of can't believe that the Clippers made this deal. Um, they now have Harden, Westbrook, Kawhi, Paul George, all on the same team, all who need the ball to be successful, all over 32 years old, all having injury history behind them and certainly their primes behind them. Um, good luck. It, 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 it's going to be one of those teams, they're going to talk about them constantly on ESPN because they've got stars on them, but they're, I, I just I don't see them as a viable contender. Um, Wemby Yama so far has looked pretty good, i got to say. Um, he's had some rough moments. You know, couldn't stay on the floor in the first game, a lot of fouling, but uh, played well in their upset against the Suns the other day. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see if he can um, keep that going over the long haul. 82-game season with his frame, that's a lot different than, than what he's been used to overseas. So um, it, it's going to take its toll on him. That, you know, wait till we get to Christmas. And uh, and see how he looks. And lastly, Boston is—they seem legit. Um, they beat Indiana by forty last night. They dropped one hundred and fifty-five points on them. They've got uh, five guys averaging double figures. Porzingis has fit in seamlessly. Drew Holiday has fit in seamlessly. Um, and I'm not surprised. Boston's going to be a really good team. They're going to win a ton of regular season games, and they're going to be the number one seed in the East. Um, for me, it just comes down to. Does their bench give them anything in the playoffs? And can Porzingis stay healthy all the way to June? Um, and I don't think he can. And without him, they are, you know, the gap between them and the Bucks is is significantly smaller. I think right now there's a pretty pretty good sized gap, and and I'm not I'm not surprised by that. Uh, Boston, you know, they've added a couple guys, like I said, in Porzingis and Holiday, but. You know those guys aren't focal points the way Lillard is with the Bucks, so it's a it's a little easier of a transition for them. Um, all right, just a couple quick college basketball things as we touched on last week. Um, the season starts for both Marquette and Wisconsin on the sixth, which I believe is Tuesday. I think uh, no Monday. I'm sorry. Monday, uh, Marquette plays at home against NIU, and the Badgers play at home against Arkansas State. So that will be getting kicked off full swing here coming up. Um, A little sad news in the world of college basketball. Well, sad for some, not so much for people that didn't like him, but uh, Bob Knight passed away yesterday, age 83. One of the greatest uh, coaches in college basketball history. Won three NCAA championships, five Final Fours, ten Big Ten titles. Um, over his 30-year career with the uh, Indiana Hoosiers. 902 career wins, which was the most of all time when he retired. He is now in sixth place behind uh, Coach K, Bayheim, Huggins, Jim Calhoun, and Roy Williams. Um, you know, kind of a product of a bygone era. Um, the, the, the yeller, screamer, intimidator, authority figure coach it doesn't really exist anymore uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, for for those of us who, and, and a lot of our parents who grew up in the 70s, 80s, and 90s here in Big Ten country, you know, Bob Knight was the staple. He was, he was the bar. He set the bar for everybody else in that league. Um, you know, 10, 
conference championships in 30 years. Every three years, Indiana's winning winning the league. Um, at a time when college basketball was in its heyday, when it was a lot more difficult to win your league, I think, than it is now. Um, I uh, I think I talked about it when uh, we did the uh, Calvert Cheney, remember that guy. I actually went to Bob Knight's basketball camp down in Bloomington uh, before my 7th grade and before my 8th grade year. And uh, it was fun. I remember I still got the T-shirt, the camp T-shirts. Um, I remember, you know how when you go to these camps, you know, they have a little session where the coach will come out and he'll kind of do a lesson or whatever, and the whole camp sits on the floor and he pulls a couple people out of the crowd to do something. Well, one of these times he pulls me out of the crowd. And, you know, this is early 90s, 91, maybe 92. Uh, Bob Knight wearing the wearing the red sweater, 6'5", 235, 240 pounds, hulking, giant, intimidating man. Calls me up there to demonstrate a drill. I'm shitting my pants. I mean, this is like, you know, when you're that age and you're a huge college sports fan, you know, that'd be like that'd be like a college football fan who's 10 years old now getting called up to stand and talk with Nick Saban. You know, I mean, this is like otherworldly. And I just remember we did this little demonstration. I don't remember what it was, but um, he says to me, he asked me how old I was and where I was from, and I told him, and... And he just looked at me and he said, you might be a player someday. And I thought, well, that's, and I was, you know, I was very happy to get that compliment from Coach Knight. Meant a lot. Um, you know, those of us who played for Coach Suter and, and grew up in Janesville in the in the 80s and 90s, um, Coach Suter was a big fan of Coach Knight. Um, they did things a lot of the same way. Coach Suter certainly was not the yeller and screamer and intimidator that Knight was, but just the way that that they went about their business, um, you know, teamwork, unselfish, responsibility, accountability, being on time, um, looking the same in terms of, you know, one guy's not wearing an elbow pad and one guy's not wearing leggings and one guy's not wearing a headband. Everybody, nobody was bigger than the team and, and, um, you know, a lot of the coaches of that generation are kind of at the end of the road. Some of them have already passed on. Some of them are, are late in life. And it's, you know, the world changes. Coaches, you know, you got to adapt. You got to change with the times. Unfortunately for Bob Knight, he never could really do that. But, um, you know, just kind of fun to think back on on, on that era of basketball, both in, in college and, and kind of how it affected, you know, even the way I, I was brought up to play. You know, from my dad, and like I said, later on with Coach Suter and, and a lot of those principles that were instilled. So, all right. We'll end on a fun one here. A couple short ones. Remember that guy. Um, we'll start with baseball. This one's pretty short. Um, played 14 seasons, 1984 to 1997. Three years with the Mariners, five with the Royals, four with the Yankees, one with the White Sox, and ended with the Phillies. Was a one-time All-Star in 1991. Um, his name's Danny Tartable. Career stats, 273 hitter, 262 homers, 925 RBIs, 1,366 hits, 1,362 strikeouts, a career 496 slugging, 864 OPS. Um, 
His best season was 91, the year he made the All-Star team. Uh, hit 316, 31 homers, 100 RBIs, 153 hits, 121 Ks. Uh, led the league in slugging at 593 and had a 990 OPS. Um, good player for a couple of years. The Yankees, after that breakout season in 91, the Yankees did what the Yankees did. Well, still do. They overpaid, and he underperformed while while a Yankee. Um, surprisingly, in his 14-year career, he never appeared in a playoff game. And honestly, for most people, I think Danny Tartable is most remembered for his Seinfeld appearances. Um, you know, when, when George is assistant to the traveling secretary of the New York Yankees, and uh, he decide he talk after talking to Danny Tartable, he decides to go to cotton uniforms, which inevitably is a horrific idea uh, for the Yankees. And then probably his most famous one was when George was supposed to pick him up and drive him to a a, a telethon, and um, George gets cut off by a guy on the highway, and the guy sticks his arm out the window and gives what George appear uh, George perceives to be the middle finger. But in reality, after a several-hour chase and missing the telethon, George finds catches up to the guy and finds out that the guy's actually got a broken arm and is in a cast and only has one finger sticking out of the cast. So <laughs> for anybody that's seen that, they know what I'm talking about. Goldberg would have no idea because he claims he's never seen Seinfeld, which, I, listen, you cannot like it, but to say you've never seen it, I mean, really? How? It's like saying I never saw the Cosby show or I never saw Cheers or MASH. It's like these shows are on all the time in syndication. I don't. I just don't know how you couldn't have ever seen it. Okay, rant over, rant over. All right, second one. Um, this guy had a 13-year NBA career, um, was a great college basketball player for Georgetown. From 1978 to 1982. His name's Eric Sleepy Floyd. Uh, Career averages at Georgetown of 17.7 points, 2.7 assists, 3.7 rebounds, and 2 steals a game. In 1981, he was a second-team All-American. In 1982, he was a first-team All-American. And in 82, he was on the Georgetown team that famously lost to North Carolina on the famous Michael Jordan game-winning jumper. Um, in the national title game. 13 years in the NBA, as I said, 82 to 95. Uh, First year with New Jersey, then five with Golden State, six with Houston, and his last year with the Spurs. Had career averages 12.8 points, 5.4 assists, 2.6 rebounds, career 44% from the field, 32% from three, which sounds bad now, but in in the... um, in the era in which he played in the late 80s, early 90s, going one for three from three isn't too bad. One-time All-Star in 1987, which also happened to be his best season, averaged 18.8 points, 10.3 assists, 3.3 rebounds, 1.8 steals, shot 49% from the field, 38% from three, and 86% for the Golden State Warriors that year. Um, Really, his crowning moment is... Also, one of the great moments in NBA history that modern-day fans probably have no idea about, but 
1987 Western Conference semifinals against the Lakers. The Lakers would go on to win that series 4-1. to And uh, the 87 Lakers, with Kareem, Magic, Worthy, Byron Scott, A.C. Green, Michael Thompson, on the short list of greatest NBA teams of all time, probably in the top, I don't know, probably in the top five, um, in that series, down 3 to nothing in the series in Game 4, Sleepy Floyd puts up 51 points, 10 assists, and 4 steals. Now, you might say, wow, that's an unbelievable game. Well, it gets better. He's 18 of 26 from the field, 13 of 14 from the line. You're like, wow, shot 75%. A, a, a point guard shot 26 times from the floor and shot 75% from the floor and made 13 out of 14 from the line? That's impressive. Well, it gets even more impressive. In that game, he set an NBA playoff record for most points in a half with 38 points in the second half, a record that still stands. And he also set an NBA playoff record for most points in a quarter when he dropped 29 points in the fourth quarter to stave off elimination and send it to a game five. He made 12 consecutive shots in the fourth quarter. That's one of the greatest individual performances in NBA history by a guy that I bet most of you don't know, have never heard of, don't remember. And he did it against one of the five greatest teams in NBA history. So, pretty interesting. You never know when you go back, and I, and I do a little research on remember this guy, and sometimes it even jogs my memory. You know, Sleepy was on the list of a bunch of basketball guys I wanted to go through, and um, I came across this, and it jogged my memory because I had heard this many times before about this amazing game, but um, obviously I was I would have only been about six years old at the time, so I don't believe I saw that one live, but uh, pretty cool. I mean, doesn't say a lot for Magic Johnson when the opposing point guard's putting up 51-10 and 10 on you and dropping 30 and a quarter, but... Maybe Magic wasn't Gardner. Maybe it was Byron Scott. I don't know. All right. That was another episode of The Intentional Foul. Appreciate you guys tuning in, sticking with me for these solo outings. Um, Hope to have Goldberg back here in the next couple weeks. He's still got maybe a month or so left of of whitewater football. And and then, as I said, we get into, uh, into the high school basketball season here real shortly. So... Um, We'll be popping on as much as we can. Try to stay in the once a week. Um, I'd like to get back once he gets back to to joining me. I'd like to get back to Tuesdays. But for now, Thursdays are the way to go. So, um, yeah, as I said, I appreciate it. Got any comments, rude remarks? You know where to leave them. Appreciate it. Talk to you next week. Go Bucks. Go Bucks.